Well, good morning, churches. Happy Sabbath. It's good to be here. I really wish that we were able to see each other face to face, but because there is a nasty little bug called a virus floating around, we're not able to do that. And so we have to meet in different ways. Uh, those of you who are able to watch online, I, uh, I think this should be a little bit uh, more maybe exciting for you or more engaging for you. Those of you who are listened to on the radio, uh, you'll just have the audio version of that. But it is good to be here. It really is good to be here. I'm glad that we're able to do something that we can uh, have some semblance of meeting, even under difficult times. In fact, this is really a good practice run for us because the day is going to come, we know, when we will have to meet distantly like this, and it'll be, a lot, it'll be rather difficult for us, where this time it's not, it's un, what would you say, um, um, it's not difficult, it's just inconvenient. And so we'll have to make the best of it, but let's use it as a learning experience. I'm going to kneel and pray as I, before I start here this morning, so I'd ask that you would bow your heads with me as I ask the Lord to be with us. Father, we come before you and we just ask that you would be with us. <clears throat> we are all in our homes or separated by distances, but Father, we can be together in your spirit. And Lord, this morning as I open your word, I just pray that you would be with us in a special way, that you would be with me, that you'd use me as an instrument to speak, speak words of truth, words of encouragement. And Father, I pray that as we study together this morning, that we are drawn to you, that our hearts are lifted up, and that, Father, we can kind of get away from the pressures, the stresses of the confinements that we find ourselves in. But Lord, maybe we can look up and we can be refreshed, that we can receive that Sabbath blessing. And so, Father, bless us with your presence. I pray that you take control of our hearts and our minds, that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to receive. May we know that we have been with you today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I think all of us are rather amazed at how quickly our daily lives have changed. If you think about it, it was just a month ago, people were able to go about and do whatever they wanted to do, but in a very short period of time, in fact, a month ago, I was finishing up. I had just finished up the second from the last weekend of a series of meetings I was holding down in Janesville. I was talking with the pastor. We were making our plans of what we were going to do for the very last weekend. People were making decisions. Everything was going according to plan until Monday morning. <clears throat> A Monday morning, the governor said that no longer could we meet that way because you could only meet in groups of less than 10. And so the meetings had to be canceled. It was only a short time after that. We were told not only are you to not to meet in, in those groups, but you should stay home whenever possible. And now we are not even to leave our homes unless it is for something essential. So what's going on? What is really going on? You know, one of, the, one of the questions that I hear is, are we at the end of time? Is this it? Is this really it? 
You know, it takes my mind back to a time when Jesus was at the temple with the disciples. This was really towards the end of his ministry. And he was at the end, they're there at the temple, and as they were walking through the temple area, the disciples were talking, they were, they were telling him about the buildings that were there, and it was really quite a, really quite a place, an architectural feat, if you would. It was built out of white marble when Herod the Great decided that he wanted to expand the size of the temple and make the remodeling, the additions to it. He had to actually change the size of the temple mount, and so they built walls upon the side. I've been there, I've looked at it, and they... They created a larger area, and they really expanded the size of the temple. For the disciples, that seemed to them that that would be something that would last forever. But Jesus was looking at them after he heard them talking about He says, you guys really think this is something? He says, listen, not one of these stones are going to be left upon another. Well, they left the temple, they walked through the Kidron Valley, came up on the other side to the Mount of Olives. And for Jesus to say that, the disciples could not get that out of their mind. And in Matthew chapter 24, beginning in verse 3, if you turn in your Bibles there and follow along with me, I think you would find that much more uh, enlightening, much more edifying. But in verse 3, he says, Now, as he, that is Jesus, sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us. When will these things be? Now, he had just told them the temple was going to be destroyed. They can't imagine that. They can't even wrap their minds around that. And so they ask him, when is this going to happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus then begins in what is known as the Olivet Discourse. And I'm going to go ahead and go through part of that with you right now. It says, And Jesus answered and said to them, Take heed that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. You know, as I've thought about that, wars and rumors of wars, I'm 66 years old. And as I've thought through the years of my memory, I cannot remember hardly any times at all when there was not war going on someplace on this planet. In fact, I can't even think of many times when we as a country have not had troops someplace that were involved in some type of a, you know, you would say war. When people are shooting at you, I would think it's a war, but they would call it a police action. He says, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but then he says, see that you are not troubled. He says, see that you're not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. He says, for nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and pestilences. You see, brothers and sisters, that is what we have going on right now. We have a pestilence, this virus that's going around. It's, a, it's an enemy that you can't even see. And people are contracting it, and some people don't even know they have it, never knew they have it, but they're able to carry it. Other people contract it, and it kills them. Jesus said, listen, you're going to have those things. He says there would be earthquakes in various places. And in verse 8, he says, and these are all the beginnings of sorrows. He says, be not troubled over this. See that you're not troubled. But then he says, these are all the beginnings of sorrows. He says, and then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my namesake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. 
And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. And listen to what he says in verse 13. He says, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. He that endures to the end shall be saved. When people ask me, do you think that this is the end? I don't believe this is the end. I believe this is just the beginning. We are just beginning to what Jesus said, the beginning of sorrows. In Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, in Romans chapter 8, in verse 22, Paul says something here. He says, for we know the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs. With birth pangs. You know, one of the things I find interesting, I've had three children. And I was there for all three children's birth. You know, I, I am so thankful that I'm living in an age where the men could go in and actually be there for the birth of their child. Uh, when I was born, my dad wasn't even allowed in there. He had to stay in a room completely separate from it. And then they would come out and tell him, or they would tell the fathers at that time, what was going on. But when I was having, when my wife should say, my wife was having children, I was able to go in and actually be with them and see the miracle of birth. But the birth pangs are really interesting because they start out very light, you would say, and far apart. In fact, there's such a thing as called false labor, where women start having some some contractions or something, but it's really not the main event. But when the time comes, and the closer that it comes for the baby to be delivered, the birth pangs become far more intense and much closer together. You see, at the beginning of the sorrows, it's not as bad. It's not as big. But as you get closer and closer to that time when they're going to be born, when the baby's going to come forth, they become extremely intense. Now, I can't tell you personally how intense they are. But I can tell you by looking at the, 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 the look on my wife's face, they are very intense, and it is very painful. But that's what I think, that's where I think we're at. I think these are birth pains. These are like alarm clocks that are going off to let us know it's time to wake up. And you say, well, what do you mean by birth pains? I'm just going to go over the last two decades. Let's just look over the last, not even 20 years. 9-11, September 11, 2001. How many of you, if you're my age, I know you can remember that. If you're like 25 years old, you may not remember that because you're a little younger. But if you're 30 years old or older, you know you can remember exactly where you were, what you were doing when that took place. I can tell you exactly what I was doing and, when, and what was happening. I had just completed an opening weekend of a series of an evangelistic series, and I had a Bible worker working with me. And so I went, I called him up. I wanted to know the demographics. I wanted to know what was going on. I wanted to know who was attending and, you know, just some things about them so I know who that I'm preaching to. <clears throat> and so I call him. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. I call him up, and I'm asking him some questions. And he's like, he's not even there. It's like he's not even communicating. I says, hey, listen, it's 9 o'clock in the morning. I says, come on, come on. Give me the, I, I just need this information. And he says, Tom, have you watched the news? And I said, no, I haven't watched the news. I got up early this morning. I was reading my Bible. I was having my devotions. I was going over my material for tonight. No, I haven't watched the news. What's going on? What are you talking about? Have you watched the news? And he says, have you watched the news? And I said, no, why? 
He said, four jetliners have been hijacked. Two of them were flown into one of each of the Twin Towers in New York. Another one flew into the Pentagon. They don't know where the fourth one is. One of the two towers has collapsed already. I hung up the phone. I went over, turned on the television, and there I watched with horror as the smoke bellering out of the one remaining tower. And as they would zoom in, you could see the people falling down to their death because they couldn't hang on. The heat was just too great, and they tried to get away from it, ended up falling out the windows. And they would show the replay of the first tower collapsing and going down. And about 10 minutes after I turned on the television, I watched the second tower go down. That's permanently burned into my mind. I can see the whole thing passing before my mind right now. 9-11. 9-11. Well, we, the first, ter- first time that a, an entire generation felt their vulnerability in, in the United States of America. You see, there's been attacks in other places of the world. But we had never experienced anything in this country and Americans for the first time since World War II felt that they were vulnerable and that their safety was gone. Boom. Alarms going off. Alarms going off. You see, God's telling his people, God didn't cause it to happen, but when these things happen, he's trying to get his people to wake up. It's time to wake up. Well, time goes on, and you know, the churches were full for a few weeks after that. I actually did an an evangelistic series in New York State right after that. And I was in a small town. We handed out 5,000 handbills, and there was no seating left in the hall. The place was packed full. People were afraid. They wanted to know what is going on. What is going on? Anthrax scare was going on just in the, in the light of all that. But you know, it was amazing because after time went on, it didn't take very long, and when no more attacks came, people started feeling safe again and went right back to the way it was, including us as Seventh-day Adventists. Well, time was going on, and we were recovering from that. The economy was doing pretty good. People were able to retire. They were able to have some 401ks, IRAs, whatever they had their monies invested in, and they were able to, between the Social Security and their retirement, that they were living a very good retirement. And then 2008 came. And in 2008, we had an economic meltdown where people lost about half of their investments. You see, the first time our safety was gone and we put, we put security in financial things and so now the finances were taken away and, and people that were retired who, they were living a very comfortable life in retirement. They're able to really enjoy themselves and travel and, and, and go visit the kids and do these things. Now, all of a sudden, they had no money left or very little money left and then the interest rates had really dropped down like a rock and now they didn't have enough money coming in from the interest rates so that they could live comfortably any longer. And so they had to go out and find some part-time jobs. Boom. Wake-up call. It's time to wake up. 
Paul in Romans chapter 13 and verse 11 says, And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to wake out of sleep, for now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. God is shaking us. He's rattling us. You've got to get up. You've got to quit hitting the snooze button on the alarm. Well, that lasted for a while. That lasted for a while. We were engaged. We were saying, yep, we can see this could really bring in some bad times. There could be some real long-term things out of this, but that's not what happened. There was a number of economic stimuluses until finally <clears throat> we got up to about three years ago where the last three years we have had unprecedented economic growth. In fact, I was talking to a young man not too long ago he was trying to get me into uh, uh, doing some investment, and he was telling me, he says, I averaged 23% on my investments last year. And I thought about that. I goes, man, 23%. That's high. That's really good. You know that if you invest $100,000 at 23%, that's $23,000 a year. That's almost $2,000 a month, and you've never touched your principal. If you invest $200,000, you've got $46,000 coming in. If you're retired, my goodness, that is a pretty good retirement. There's a lot of people who don't make $46,000 in a year. And people were really engaged in that, and everything was going really good. And then an unseen enemy attacked. The enemy is so small that you, you have to have a, a microscope to be able to see it. In fact, I don't think of just a normal microscope. I think you have to have like an electron microscope to be able to see it. And this thing is so, it, it is so deadly to some, and yet to others, they can get it, they can be infected, they can infect other people, but they don't even know they have it. And this unseen enemy now is not just singling out the Twin Towers in New York City. This unseen enemy, this coronavirus, is infecting the whole world. And the whole world goes into a lockdown. And when the whole world goes into a lockdown, the economy of the world contracts. And we see the results of that happening right now. We're 30% in the United States, 30% dropped in just a matter of a couple of days. You see, now it's not just our safety, our security, but now it's our safety, security, and it's our finances. And now we're facing unemployment at an all-time high. It's incredible what's happened. And this has all happened within the last couple of months. So what's happening? What's happening? Boom. God is telling us it is time to wake up. It is time to wake up. Brothers and sisters, it is time to wake up. Listen, we have been given precious probationary time. We need to take advantage of the time that we've been given. In the book Desire of Ages on page 632, it says, Christ, <clears throat> Christ has given signs of his coming. He declares that we may know when he is near, even at the doors. He says of those who see these signs, this generation shall not pass till all 
No, let's see, till all these things be fulfilled. These signs have appeared. Now we know of a surety that the Lord's coming is at hand. Heaven and earth shall pass away, he says, but my words shall not pass away. She continues on in page 634 in Desire of Ages. She says, after he had given the signs of his coming, Christ said, when you see these signs come to pass, know you that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Take heed, watch and pray. God has always given men warning of coming judgments. Notice that. He said, God has always given warning of, of coming judgments. Those who in faith in his message for their time and who acted out their faith in obedience to his commandments escaped the judgments that fell upon the disobedient and unbelieving. Now, there's a reason why we have prophecy. God gives that to us so that we don't have to fall under the judgments. That doesn't mean that bad things won't happen. That doesn't mean that we don't be concerned. But we certainly shouldn't be afraid of what's coming down the pike. He says, the word came to Noah, come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me. Noah obeyed and was saved. The message came to Lot. Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. Lot placed himself under the guardianship of the heavenly messengers and was saved. So, Christ's disciples, she's talking about Matthew 24 here. She says, Christ's disciples were given warning of the destruction of Jerusalem. Those who walked through the sign of the coming ruin and fled from the city escaped the destruction. So now we are given warning of Christ's second coming and of the destruction to fall upon the world, those who heed the warning, she says, will be saved. See, Christ tells us a future. He, he, he gives us a future. He gives us prophecy so that we can know that not only are we going to go through it, but he will go through it with us. And if Christ is going through with us, you see, then we don't have to worry about the outcome. He said that he that endures to the end shall be saved. You see, he's talking there about character. See, we are given time here to develop characters for eternity. I heard somebody one time was talking and say, well, you know, character is what, or, or, or crisis is what develops character. I don't believe that. I don't believe crisis develops character. Crisis reveals character. Crisis tells us what's really like inside. And so when we get put under the stress and strain of life, when we get the various conditions that are existing, when we get pushed down because of that, you see, that is when we find out what we're really made of. That's why I think God allows these things to happen so that we can say, hey, you know what? I really need to give this to Jesus. I need to, I need to let him deal with this in my life. I'll tell you a story. I was building a house down in Stevensville, Montana. Western Montana was right in the, uh, the Bitterroot Valley, if you're familiar with Montana. And we had just gotten the floor decked off. <clears throat> and I had hired a guy who was working with me. He was an older guy. Didn't know really anything about construction, but he could hold two boards. He could carry things over. And, you know, he, could, he, he would follow instructions. So it was fine. But anyways, we're up there working. And when we built that floor, we had to laminate, those of you who understand construction, we had to laminate three two-by-tens together to make a, 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 like a beam that went across in two different places in the basement. And then we tied the two-by-ten floor joists into that. <clears throat> and I stuck a two-by-six underneath there to hold that up to keep it all level and straight while we were building that. 
Well, we started out one morning, the deck was all done, everything was nailed off, and I was actually laying out the plates. I was laying out the, the, the layout of the studs where the doors and the windows and everything were going to be in. So I'm concentrating, I've got the blueprints in my hand, and I, he's bringing up the plate material. And so we're getting everything ready, and I'm ready to start, I'm start doing my layout. <clears throat> and a friend pulls up. And he says, hey, Tom, he says, hey, I've got about an hour or two. He said, I want to come over and give you a hand. Is there anything I can do? And I said, well, you know, not right now. There's not a whole lot. I said, well, I'm just laying out these, these, uh, these, these two walls, the whole length of the, the, whole length of the building. I, and he goes, well, listen, he says, how about, he said, you're going to need material up here for that, aren't you? And I said, sure. And he said, how about if I bring it up here for you? And I said, sure, fine. <clears throat> and so I'm over there, and I am totally totally being the monofocused person that I am, I am totally blocked out what he was doing and I'm sitting here concentrating on, on getting everything laid out, making sure all my measurements are right and everything is going to come together the way it's supposed to come together. And finally I turn around, I look and he's got a whole mountain, a whole mountain of two by sixes and, and stuff all piled up right in the middle of the floor. We're to be out of our way. You know, it's not going to be in our way because we're working along the edges, eight feet in from each edge. And so I go walking over there, and I've got the prints in my hand, and I'm looking at what I've just done, making sure everything was right. And when I get to where that pile of lumber was, I heard a crack, and the whole thing caved in. And we ended up down on the basement floor, covered up with two by six studs and boards and the guy was helping me he was down my friend by the way that put everything there he was gone by this time <clears throat> he was only there for maybe half hour 45 minutes and uh anyways the, the old guy's name was dale and he looked at me and i looked at him i said are you okay and he said yeah i said i don't think i don't think anything's broken he said i don't feel any blood coming out so he said i think i'm all right and i wiggled around and stuff and got out from underneath the lumber and i says yeah i'm okay he said what happened i said i don't know and so we started sorting through everything and getting every, you know, pulling everything out of the way, get that whole pile of lumber out of there and pushed off to the side. And what I found had happened <clears throat> is that the two-by-six that I had put underneath that laminated those three two-by-tens that were laminated together, that two-by-six had broken right in the middle. Now, when I looked at that two by six, you see from the outside, it looked just fine. It was all, it was a straight grain. I mean, I picked out a straight grained board because I wanted something that I, I didn't want something that was going to be weak. But what I didn't realize and what I didn't see is that all the way through the width of that board, not the thickness, but the width of that board, there was a knot. And there was only about a quarter of an inch of wood on either side of that knot that was holding that two by six up. And you see what happened was the strain as it was put on it, when the board started to bend a little bit, it had no strength to hold it up at all. And it snapped like a pretzel and everything fell down into the basement, including myself and my helper. You see, it taught me a valuable lesson it taught me that it doesn't really matter what something looks like on the outside. It's what's on the inside that really matters. That's what makes a difference. You know, we can call ourselves whatever we want. We can dress however we want. We can go through all the motions when we're around everybody else. But what matters is what are we doing when they're in the privacy of our home? What's really going on inside? 
What's really important to us? What's important to us? Is, 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 is our jobs, is our, is our home, is, our, is the things of life here, is it more important to us than what the kingdom of God is? These are questions that we all have to ask, and I can't answer them for you, you can't answer them for me. These are all things that we need to ask ourselves, and we need to pray about with God. What is it in my life? What is it in my life that would be holding me back from you? You see, when these things happen, you know, should we be afraid? Should we be afraid? No, I don't believe we should be afraid. We need to learn to trust Jesus. You see, because Jesus, you know, see, he's, he is the same on the inside as he is on the outside. <clears throat> we need to learn to trust him. No matter what the conditions are around us, we need to learn to trust him. There's no time to be afraid. When things are happening, friends, there's no time really to be afraid. Fear is not from God. Perfect love, the Bible says, cast out all fear. In fact, I've got some verses here where Jesus told his disciples not to be, or he told others to not be afraid. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 27, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer, it is I, do not be afraid. He said, don't be afraid, it's me. It's me. Matthew chapter 17 and verse 7 said, But Jesus came and touched him and said, Arise, don't be afraid. This was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Matthew chapter 28. Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Don't be afraid. He says this over and over. Mark chapter 5 verse 36. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, Be not afraid, only believe. Luke chapter 12 and verse 4. And I say to you, friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. And then in John chapter 14, one of my very favorite chapters in all the scriptures, starts out, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. <laughs> I was a young man when I first heard that. Very young man. And I thought, boy, if he loves me enough that he's preparing a mansion for me, then I can love him enough to serve him here. In John chapter 14, verse 27, he says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Over and over, Jesus was telling his disciples, don't be afraid. And he is saying the same thing to you and to me today. Don't be afraid. We don't need to be afraid. He lets us know and he tells us not to be afraid because he will be with us. You see, we need to learn to trust him to take us through. Whatever happens in the world doesn't matter. We need to learn to trust Jesus. I think of the three Hebrew worthies in Daniel chapter 3, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they went out on the, on the plain of Dura that day and the band began to play, and everybody else out there found it very convenient to bow down to this idol. Those three young Hebrew men, they stood there. They were standing there for God because they would not violate the principles. They weren't afraid of what could happen to them. In fact, that's what they told Nebuchadnezzar. They told Nebuchadnezzar, listen, our God is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, it doesn't matter. We're not going to bow down to your statue. We're not going to do this thing and offend our God. Daniel Daniel could have kept the doors closed. You know, he could have closed up his windows. Nobody would have known that he was praying three times a day. But Daniel wasn't afraid 
of what was going to happen or what could happen to him. The 10 disciples that were martyred, you know, 10 of the 12, one killed himself, of course, Judas. Uh, John lived to be an old age and died of old age, but the other 10, they all suffered a martyr's death. They weren't afraid. Paul, once Paul met Jesus, he wasn't afraid. Did Paul want to die? No, I don't believe any of them wanted to die. But they weren't afraid. Why? Because they had faith. They had faith in the one who died for them. And he would not allow that to, to stop them. I want to read to you something from the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. This something just came to me here. Hebrews chapter 10. And we're going to begin there about in verse 35. 35. <clears throat> he says, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward. You know what the confidence is? That's your trust in God. Your confidence in God. Your trust, your faith in God. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance. Jesus said, he that endures to the end. He says, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And then he quotes from the little book of Habakkuk, where he says, for yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Now listen to what he says in verse 39. But we, it's you and me, we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. You see, we are to hold on. We are to, we are to cling to Jesus and know that he is the only one that can bring us through. Listen, friends, one of the things about the, time, the days that we're going to be going into, I don't know when it's going to be. I don't know how far in the future. I don't think anybody knows. But what we will be doing is we're going to cling to Jesus because that's the only thing that we will have left. In Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 6, it says, But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, he says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Revelation chapter 2, verse 25, he says, But hold fast what you have, Till I come. You notice the language that's being used here. There is, there is, we are to hold on to Jesus. Revelation chapter 3 and verse 11 says, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may be able to take your crown. You see, we are to hold fast. We are to have that faith that only Jesus can give us. That's why in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 12, it says, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. Now listen, we're to have faith in Jesus. There's no question about that. But this faith is the faith of Jesus. This is the faith that Jesus has that he imparts to us. He gives us his faith. What was Jesus' faith? What kind of faith did he have? Nevertheless, Father, not what I will, but let your will be done. See, that's the faith of Jesus. Didn't matter what happened to him in this world. 
He was going to stay faithful. He was going to stay true to the Father. And this is why when we see things happening, we shouldn't be afraid and run around like Chicken Little that, and yell out that the sky is falling. No, we should be looking up to Jesus, taking his hand and, and, and receiving his faith, trusting him to take us through. You know, I can tell you, friends, that if we're going to depend on our own strength, if we're going to depend on ourselves to carry us through, we will fall, we will fail. It's only as we trust Jesus and allow him to take us through. You see, I don't believe we've seen anything yet. I don't believe that this, like I said earlier, I don't believe that this is the end. I think this is just the beginning. But now is the time for us to learn to trust our Savior with everything. We need to be willing to give him every aspect of our lives and learn to walk with him by faith. You know, actually, we have time right now. We're confined to our homes. Uh, we do have time that we can spend time with Jesus. Many of us can. Some can't. Some are working, you know, from their homes. But there's a lot of us are stuck in our homes. We're probably spending a lot of time in front of that big tube that sits in most of our living rooms. Now, what are we filling our minds with? Are we filling our minds with things that have eternal value? Are we filling our minds with things that make us cling to this earth? See, things of eternal value will cause us to cling to Jesus. Things of earthly value will cause us to cling to the earth. And so I would encourage you, take time to read and study your Bibles. You know, for many of us, if we would have started to read our Bibles when the lockdown started, we could have the Bible completely read through by now or for sure by the time it's lifted. You see, now is a time. Now is a time, my friends, we need to build our confidence. We need to build our faith, our trust. Now is a time that we really need to know who it is that we believe in. And as Paul said, but we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. <clears throat> Brothers and sisters, I would encourage you to make wise use of the time that we have. Make wise use of the time we have. Spend that time with Jesus. Spend that time in prayer. Talk to him. Ask him, is there anything that I need to do? Is there anything that I need to give to you? What parts of my life am I holding back from you? Let him work in you. That only, the work that only he can do, friends, listen, you can't do it. Only God can do what he needs to do in you. So let him do his good work. Let's take advantage of the time. Let's pay attention. The alarm clocks are going off. Don't hit the snooze button. Don't hit the snooze button. Wake up. For now our salvation is near than when we first believe. Let's pray. Father, Father, as we th see the things happening all around us, we see things in other parts of our country that our people are really suffering. Lord, I pray that we can look up beyond, that we can look to you that we can reach out to you and allow you to work in us both to will and to do of your good pleasure. Father, I pray that this time that we have been given, I don't know how long this is going to be, but I pray that we don't waste the time, but we make the best use of this time 
that we can. And then, Father, I pray that as we come closer and closer to you, that you use us in ways that we thought were absolutely impossible. Father, I pray that you would cause your face to shine upon us, that you would grant us your peace, that you would fill us with your Spirit. Father, may we go through this experience closer to you in a a bond that cannot be broken. Father, bless us to that end, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.